Well, thank you for a warm welcome, and uh, let me add my words of appreciation to True North Church uh, for uh, your faithful ministry here, but also for the way you're touching the world as you pray for your missionaries who are serving through the International Mission Board, and as you give to support them. Uh, I have the privilege in my role that I've been in now since 2018 of of uh, uh, serving our missionaries and making sure that they have what they need to do what God has called them to do. Uh, and uh, you help make that possible as you generously give. There's 3,631 of those missionaries uh, who are serving in more than 100 countries of the world right now. Uh, they have between them about 2,700 kids. So a lot of our missionaries go out as families. And again, your generous support makes possible everything that they are doing. Uh, we have seen tremendous progress uh, in their ministry and work even during uh, the pandemic. In fact, uh, we appointed 500 and well, just over 500 new missionaries since the pandemic has begun, uh, as well as uh, had the opportunity to see uh, many new churches started. Over 18,000 new churches have been started overseas uh, in the past year, uh, and we saw 144,000 professed faith in Christ because of the ministry of your missionaries and their Baptist partners on the ground all around the world. And we are incredibly grateful uh, for your partnership in that. Uh, thank you, uh, uh, Randy Covington, and the partnership that Alaska Baptists share with us. Uh, it is uh, indeed good for us to be able to visit here with you. David Melber is with me today. He works with the Georgia Baptist Convention. And David and I have I've uh, been excited to be able to visit Alaska Baptist and to be in uh, the greatest state in the United States. This is the greatest state in the United States. Uh, it's the only state I've ever longed to visit and dreamed of visiting since I was a kid. Uh, growing up in the mountains of East Tennessee, along the Tennessee-Kentucky border, uh, I knew there were real mountains somewhere else. And those were here in Alaska. And uh, uh, sometime last evening, I finally put my feet on Alaskan soil for the very first time. Uh, and it is incredibly good to be here. I'm glad I live long enough to, to, to make it uh, to visit uh, with you here in Alaska. Not, not to say that I don't want to go on to heaven. Now, there's, uh, there's better waiting for us, right? Uh, I mean, heaven is going to be better than earth, you believe. Uh, heaven's going to be better in Alaska. Heaven's going to be better in Tennessee. Heaven, heaven's going to be better. There, there's no pandemics in heaven. Uh, there's no cancer in heaven. There's uh, no, no COVID in heaven. There's, uh, there's no addiction in heaven. There's no depression in heaven. There's no divorce in heaven. There's no death in heaven. Uh, heaven, well, it's heaven. And whether we live in great hardship here on earth or whether we are blessed at the moment and, and happy and things are going well in our lives, uh, what God has prepared for us in his kingdom to be able to enjoy his presence, to be with him, uh, is going to be immeasurably better uh, than anything we could ever experience here on earth. Which brings me to a question, why has God left us here? Why doesn't God just save us and take us to heaven? Well, that's the question that I really want to get at this morning as we look together at a passive scripture in the book of Revelation. Revelation, last book of the Bible, chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. If you're familiar with the book of Revelation, that you might recall that what we see described in the book of Revelation, uh, for the most part, is, is a vision or a series of visions that God gave to a servant of his by the name of John. And in chapter 7, we find John describing 
vision of heaven. Heaven not as it was in John's day. Heaven not as it is today. But heaven as it will someday be. And we'll see why what John saw wasn't heaven in his day or in our day in a few moments. But John describes what he sees, and it's heaven as it will someday be. And we find in this vision the reason that we are here. We are here because the vision has not yet been fulfilled. And we get to be a part of seeing that vision fulfilled. Revelation 7 verses 9 and 10. John describes this. He said, After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. John, in this vision, uh, describing what he sees as God allowed him to see into heaven, heaven as it will someday be, uh, answers many of the questions for us about heaven. I don't know, when you think about heaven, are there questions that come to mind? Uh, questions like, what will be, that be like? Uh, what will we be doing in heaven? Uh, who will be in heaven? Well, John answers the who, at least to some extent, when he says, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages. And what John makes clear about heaven as it will someday be is that heaven is inclusive. Now, heaven is, is not inclusive in the sense that everyone is going to be included because we know everyone is not going to be included. Uh, the way we have the opportunity to be in heaven when we die is by, well, as we've sung praises and really sang the gospel this morning, the Savior came and died for us to pay the price of our sin. When we put our trust in him, when we turn from our sin and talk, turn to the Savior, we call that repentance when, uh, when uh, we believe in him, trust in what he did on the cross, that it was for us, we, we call that faith, when we acknowledge him for who he is, he is Lord. The Bible says at that moment in time we are forgiven, we are adopted into God's family, we are saved, and our eternal home is heaven. But we know that many who hear the good news of the gospel don't believe it, right? And even many who believe it refuse it. They refuse to submit their lives to Jesus as Lord, refuse to turn from their sin and turn to the Savior, refuse to repent and trust in Him. And so heaven's not for everyone. It's not inclusive in the sense that everyone's going to be included, but it is inclusive in the sense that someone will be there, someone from every nation and all the tribes and peoples and languages of the world. And that's where you and I come in. That's the reason we're still here. We're still here because they aren't yet there. There are more than 3,000 people groups in the world today that have not yet been reached with the gospel. In fact, as far as we know, they haven't even been engaged with the gospel. There's, there's no missionary that has yet gone to them. There's no church among them. There's no believer among them. And really, that's what we at the International Mission Board, your missionary sending agency, 
pushed towards every day. Getting the gospel to those who have yet to be reached with the good news. Engaging those who have yet to be engaged. So they can hear. So they can repent. So they can believe. So they can be saved. So they can be there. And until they're there, we still have work to do right here. And that's one of the reasons True North exists. God has you on mission to see that the gospel gets to every nation, all the tribes and peoples and languages of the world. And until that has happened, we still have work to do right here. Until the who are there. Well, let's, let, let's think further about heaven. We've asked the question, who? Who will be there? Someone from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages of the world. Where will they be? Well, we're talking about heaven, right? But it's interesting, John is very specific as he describes the scene that is unfolding in front of him. He says, after this, I looked and behold, who? A great multitude, no one can number, from every nation, all the tribes and peoples and languages. Where? Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Where are they? They're there in the very presence of God. Standing before God. Before the Lamb of God. Who is the Lamb of God? Jesus. The Lamb of glory who takes away the sins of the world, John said. He is the one who came to be the Lamb of sacrifice. The one who laid down his life freely to pay the price of your sin and of mine. And John says there, this great multitude stands before him. Before the God who loved us, who created us, who gave his son to die for us. Before the son who loved you enough that he was willing to step aside from his heavenly glory and come and suffer death on a cross. What a beautiful sight it will be to behold him. What an incredible thing it will be to stand in the presence of the one who loves you enough to die for you. If you have put your trust in Jesus as your Savior, if you acknowledge him as your Lord, if you've been adopted in his family, that's your eternal home. And this passage reminds us of that, uh, that, that kingdom, not of this world, that house, the Bible says, not made with hands. By the way, seeing that video reminded me of, of a house that my wife, Michelle, one of our daughters, Kai, who was with us, were able to see in the refugee camp in Uganda that you helped build because of your generous giving. Uh, it, it's, as you could see from the scenes on the video, uh, houses aren't too elaborate in refugee settlements. Uh, this house was probably not like your house or my house. It's a very small house. Uh, maybe about the size of you know, from here to the end of the stage. It's divided into two rooms. It's built of brick. It has a tin roof, a dirt floor. Uh, there, there's no plumbing in the house because uh, sewage lines and, and even water lines, it's just not available in a refugee settlement. And, and uh, there's no electricity in the house because there's no power grid there. There's no electric lines. What's interesting about the house uh, in addition to those things, is, is who lives in the house. There's a 16-year-old boy that lives in that house and his four younger siblings. Uh, what's interesting also is who doesn't live in the house. There's no mother or father in that house. It's 
what we call a child-headed household. It's a miracle those five kids not only are in that house that you helped provide for, but it's a miracle that, that they're alive. They're not from Uganda, they're from South Sudan. A nation torn really for generations by war and genocide. Millions have died in South Sudan as a result of the ongoing conflicts, including the mother and father of those five kids. Somehow, I have no idea how, somehow, this 16-year-old boy managed to get out of South Sudan and into Uganda walking on foot and bring with him his four younger siblings. They brought nothing with them, uh, just the ragged clothes on their body. They wandered into the refugee camp, and that's where two of your missionaries uh, who, are, who are living there and working in the camp uh, learned about their circumstances, and went out and met with them, arranged for the building of this little house so they would have a shelter, got food for them, made sure their needs were met, And then told them about a father who loves them, who wants to adopt them into his family. And he is a king. And he has provided for them a place in his kingdom for all eternity. Now what about a Father's Day story today? Five orphans in a refugee camp with the opportunity to be adopted by a king. Thank God for his love, for hurting people here and around the world. And thank God for your love, for hurting people here and around the world. Because they came to have their needs met and came to learn about a savior through your generosity you're working together with churches uh, across the country who are part of our Southern Baptist family and sending missionaries and sending the resources to do work like that. So the who could be where standing before the throne and the Lamb. Another question that comes to mind as we think of heaven is how? How is it you get there? What a made mention of it already today, but, but there's something that I want you to see here in John's description, some symbolism that, that sheds light on it. Uh, John, describing who he sees, says a great multitude, verse 9, that no one could number, from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages, where they're in heaven, but they're standing in the presence of God before the throne and before the Lamb. And then John remarks this, they were clothed in white robes. They were clothed in white robes. I believe, probably literally, they were clothed in white robes. But there's also something very symbolic about that. Something symbolic about white. These white robes. I tend not to wear a lot of white. Uh, I have a, a, a white shirt, it has some stripes on it, but I have, see I have it covered in a vest today. I tend not to wear white because I'm not the neatest guy in the world. Uh, we got in last night, got a meal, and and, and, and David remarked about me dripping something on my shirt even last night. 
I, I just stay away from white. I, I, I'm the kind of guy who, who will pick up a shirt out of the floor and give it a sniff and, you know, if it passes the test, I might wear it again. And my wife, uh, if she's not looking, you know, I might get away with that. But, but I stay away from white. Why? Because white stains. It shows the dirt, right? Well, here's what the Bible says about you and me and about all human beings. The Bible says that, that we are stained. What are we stained with? We're stained with sin. The scriptures say we are born dead in our trespasses and sins. The Bible says that all have sinned. Uh, that be you and me. All is all. And we all fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death. That we are slaves to our sin. The one who sins is a slave to sin, the scriptures say. And so how is it that you and I are so stained with guilt and sin? We know we've done things that are wrong can be in heaven, standing in the very presence of God. Where there's no sin in heaven. How could we get there? Well, that's where the symbolism of the white robes comes in. Those who are in Christ have been cleansed. Their sin has been washed away. We, we sang about it even this morning. There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. When you put your trust in Jesus... When you repent, when you confess him as your Lord, your sins are forgiven because he paid that debt in full. And so how is it we have the opportunity to be here by hearing and believing the gospel? We have the opportunity to be there in heaven. And that's why the gospel must go forth to the very ends of the earth. And let me tell you this morning about two individuals who have never heard the gospel who I believe will be in heaven. Two individuals who have never heard the gospel, but I firmly believe they'll be in heaven. You say, wait a minute, that contradicts what you've been saying. Well, bear with me just a moment. In Nashville, Tennessee, again, because the church is working together, we have, we have a unique uh, ministry there where we train missionaries to the deaf and deaf missionaries. Uh, there were two individuals who came for training uh, at the Theological School for the Deaf in Nashville, Tennessee, that, against a Southern Baptist ministry that, that originally from Indonesia. Uh, they came and there learned uh, how to share the gospel in sign language and how to share their testimony in sign language. Uh, they completed the program, but it was during the pandemic. And while they had plans to go back to Indonesia and share, they could not travel to Indonesia. And so uh, the, the, they invited several of their friends in Indonesia, their deaf friends, to join them on a Zoom call. You've been on Zoom calls, right? Uh, everybody's been on Zoom calls since COVID. I thought about having a Z tattooed across my chest. Just, I've been on so many Zoom. I mean, I've been on hundreds of hours of Zoom calls uh, since COVID. I, I decided not to do that, by the way. But, uh, but, but, but at any rate, uh, we've all been on Zoom calls. Well, they had a Zoom call. And they spent an hour on Zoom sharing the gospel and sharing their testimonies in sign. And at the end of that hour, two of their deaf friends in Indonesia indicated that they believed what had been shared with them and that they were ready to put their trust in Jesus, ready to confess their sins, ready to acknowledge him as the Lord of their lives and gave every indication that they had come to faith and been saved. We've connected them to a local church there. They're being baptized and they're being discipled. But there's two individuals who've never heard the gospel. Why? Because they've never heard anything. They are deaf. 
And yet they came to understand the gospel as the gospel was communicated to them through sign. And they'll be there. Did you know that there are millions of deaf people around the world? And, and, and our mission work that we do together, that you're a part of, church, you help support, is, is unique in that there's very few groups of, of missionaries or mission organizations in the world that are sending deaf missionaries or hearing missionaries to the deaf. You don't have to be a deaf to be a missionary to the deaf, like a missionary to any other language or culture. You just learn the language, you learn the culture, and you can go share with them. Uh, but we also train deaf missionaries to deaf. And as I mentioned, we sent 500 new missionaries this past year. We're still sending missionaries today. If God is dealing with you, if God has been calling you, whether it's to the deaf or the hearing, uh, whether it's to those who are in East Asia or, or South America or Sub-Saharan Africa, if God is calling you to go, catch me today before you leave. Uh, l- let me share with you about how you can explore going as a missionary through the IMB. Because there are still more than 3,000 unreached people groups, literally billions of people around the world who have yet to hear or understand the gospel. The vision of heaven has not yet been fulfilled, and that's why we are still here to fulfill that vision. Let's ask another question. Let's me, let, let, let me ask it this way. Let me ask it like this. So what? So what? Now, now, it's not the so what that my teenage daughter asks. That's not even a question. <laughs> That's more of a statement. So what? No, it's this kind of so what. So what does this mean for me? What does it mean for you? What does it mean for us? God has allowed us to see heaven as it will be. God has allowed us to understand that there are billions of people who have yet to hear the gospel, and they won't be in heaven until they hear or at least understand the gospel. The gospel is presented to them, whether it's uh, through a, a language they can understand, including sign language. They know about Jesus who loved them and died for them. And only when they trust in him could they be adopted into his family instead of hell being their eternal destiny, heaven being their eternal destiny. What does that mean for you? What does it mean for me? What does that have to do with us today? Let's look again at the text. These who are clothed out with white robes, at the end of verse 9, have palm branches in their hands. In verse 10, they're crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What is it they are doing in heaven as they stand before his throne? They're worshiping. They have those palm, reminiscent of Palm Sunday, honoring the King of Kings, crying out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They're, they're worshiping the one who is worthy, the only one who is worthy, but the one who is worthy to hear his praises sang in every language he's placed upon the tongues of men and women. They're worshiping the one who so loved us that he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. They're worshiping the one who willingly gave his life, but who has been raised from the dead and is 
Paul says in the scriptures, has become the first fruits of the resurrection. He did not remain in the tomb, Jesus, as he gave his life. No, he was raised on the third day. And now, he's first in everything. Firstborn from among the dead, that in all things he may be preeminent, the scriptures say, that he might have first place. He's worthy of your worship. He's worthy of your praise. He's worthy of your living. He's worthy of your dying. He's worthy of everything. Because he is Lord. He is worthy of your life. And whatever he has called you to, he is worth it. And he is worthy of whatever you would give in answering his call upon your life. Sharing the gospel here, sharing the gospel around the world. He is worthy. And that's why we're here. What does this mean for you? What does it mean for me? Let, let me see if I can illustrate it on this Father's Day in a, in a personal way. On a weekday, particular day in 1974 there were two laymen in the church just two average guys who went to a Baptist church in a little washed up mining town they met in the church parking lot because it was church visitation night and that meant that members who wanted to be involved in reaching their community would meet at the church and they would go out and just knock on doors, invite people to come to church. They did what they came to do. They paired up, these two guys, and they walked from the church parking lot and began to go through the streets of the little town, knocking on doors, inviting people to go to church. At some point in the evening, they made it up uh, to a little rental property at 210 Providence Street. Uh, it's the next to last house on the road before the road ends because the mountain gets so steep you can't build a road or, or a house. And knocking on the door, uh, there was a young father of three, late 20s who came to the door. I don't know if they knew about his circumstances. Small town, maybe they did. But he was a single father. Uh, his wife had left. Uh, he had three little boys. Uh, when she left, they were age one, two, and four. He was raising them on his own. At this point, they were age three, four, and six. He answered the door, and they invited him to church. And that next Sunday, my father decided to accept their invitation. And somehow he managed to get three little rowdy boys ready by himself. That's easier for moms to do, by the way. I don't know why. It's just, or maybe we just think it is, but 
Somehow he managed to do that. And he took us to church. And he did that again the next Sunday and the Sunday after that, and that became the pattern of our family and our lives. And what we found there was a church family that loved us and welcomed us in and helped us begin the process of healing. And they shared the gospel with us. It was a few years later, my father answered the door on another weekday evening and our pastor was at the door. He was there at invitation from my father. My older brother had been asking questions about the gospel. What would it mean for him to give his life to Christ? And dad invited our pastor to come and share. And Pastor Allen sat in the green chair in the corner of our living room and he shared the gospel with my older brother. And my younger brother and I, we were sitting in the floor listening. And that night, the three of us confessed our sins, and confessed Jesus as Lord, and put our trust in him as our Savior. And we were baptized together a couple weeks later at that little church in the mountains. I am so thankful for two guys, I don't even know their name, but who cared about their lost neighbors and who were out inviting them to church I'm thankful for a church family like True North that when we walked in the door with our messy circumstances and brokenness, put their arms around us and welcomed us and shared Christ with us. I'm thankful for the work that God has called you to do here. It's the greatest state in the nation but there's a lot of pain and brokenness and lostness here. And you know that because you live here. That's why you're here. That's why God has kept you here. That's why God has brought you here. That's why God has not taken you to heaven. That's that's why this church exists because they're still out there And there are thousands here in Anchorage who are yet lost. And there are billions among the nations. And that's why you're here. Don't forget why you're here. Let's pray together. Father, thank you today. For your love and concern for spiritual orphans, for those who are lost, for the gift of your only begotten Son to pay the price of sin and make it possible for each of us to be adopted into your family. And Lord, for those of us who now call you Father and who are sons and daughters because of what you have done for us on the cross. Lord, let us not miss the purpose that you have for us as your sons and daughters here. Might you clarify for each of us what that would mean for us today, even this week, 
as we go about our lives, as we have opportunities to share. And Lord, might you find in us willing hearts to answer your call wherever you would have us go. Living out the reason that we're here. Until the vision of heaven comes to pass. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.